I'm Rebecca Armstrong, and you're listening to City State Podcast. Sit ready. I'm Tara Morgan. And I'm Rachel Friedman. Here at Steady State Podcast, we are really interested in backstories, the experiences on and off the water that make people the rowers, coaches, and coxswains they are today. By sharing stories about the humanity of our sport, we're disrupting the narrative about rowing culture and celebrating real-life experience from launch to coxseat at every level. If you're a first-time listener, welcome. If you're coming back for another episode, thanks for being here. Listen to more episodes about everything from indoor rowing to rowing across oceans. Search the podcast archive at steadysetnetwork.com slash podcast hyphen topics or listen on your favorite podcast app. On the last episode, part two in a series on gender policies in rowing, we spoke with Ann Strayer, former U.S. national team member and current varsity women's coach at Oakland United Rowing in Oakland, California, along with fellow OUR coach and Olympian Aaron Kafaro, Strayer penned a letter in support of inclusion for gender non-conforming athletes in scholastic rowing programs. If you missed it, listen anytime at steadystatenetwork.com slash podcast or anywhere you get podcasts. Steady State Podcast is sponsored in part by Concept2, making world-class rowing products since 1976. Find out more at concept2.com. And Live to Row Studios. Live, online, and in-person indoor rowing classes, training camps, and coaching for everybody. Visit live2rowstudios.com. And our newest sponsor, Barb. For short hairstyling needs on and off the water, find Barb at thebarbshop.com. And welcome to our newest sponsor, EB5, the online community helping those seeking a green card through the EB5 visa program. Find out more at eb5investors.com. My name is Rebecca Armstrong. I identify as a Black queer female rower, and I learned to row in, oh goodness, I want to say 2013 at Capitol Juniors rowing in Washington, D.C., and kind of fell into it. One of my teachers coached there, um, and my friends rowed, so I thought, okay, I'll try it out. And since then, I have rowed at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. I went to the under-23 selection camp in 2019 for the sculling boats. I row currently with Lincoln Park Boat Club and do a little bit of coaching there as well. And today I am a graduate student pursuing two masters at Adler University, a master's of science in sport and human performance, and then a master of arts in clinical mental health counseling. I just kind of found out that you're in, or you grew up in Washington, D.C., right? Yeah. And I am in D.C. I have lived here for a long time, and I actually row with Capital Rowing Club. So, oh my gosh. Yeah. So, we'll talk about that. <laughs> you probably cross paths a whole bunch down at the boathouse. Most likely. Yeah. <laughs> We've met a lot of amazing people. And actually, one of the people that we met was Jess Jackson, who's a DEI associate at U.S. Rowing, and she nominated you to be on the show. Yes. And it's so funny because I met her, I guess she had just started to last summer. 
because I ran into her at Masters Nationals, which was my like return to rowing after a little two year hiatus. And I think she was like hanging out at the like stem to stern table. We were just talking and she's like, I live in Chicago. And I was like, I live in Chicago too. Like, let's be friends. Let's have conversations. <laughs> especially since she doesn't have a background in rowing per se. And it was just cool to meet like another like woman of color who's also, um, yeah, it just was fun. (laughs) Yeah. So we interviewed her. If you haven't listened, you should take a listen. And we thought that her perspective was, was interesting. I think she was the first person we talked to who is not a rower and came to the sport in this really kind of sideways way. um, But, but could talk to us about, the issues of diversity and inclusion in rowing, having come from other sports. And yeah, I hope we see her, Tara, at, at Masters Nationals again, or head of Charles. I will be at Masters Nationals. So hey. you'll be? Yes. Awesome. So we are also going to be there. Uh, we're going to have a tent set up and we're trying to put together a mixed Masters 8 right now. We did that two years ago at Masters Nationals and had a had a good bit of fun. So... <laughs> Marginal success, but marginal success. We went down the course. (laughs) All right. Should we dive in? Okay. Here's this thing that we do Uh, every episode to help our listeners get to know our guests. We put you in the hot seat for a lightning round of questions we call rapid fire. Are you ready? I think so. Okay. Port or starboard? Both. Bow seat or stroke seat? Bow seat. I love bow. Head race or sprint race? Definitely sprint. Unisuit or tank and trowel? I was a tank and trowel person. And then since going to college, I've like fully bought into just uni. Favorite coxswain command you've received? (sighs) Get me out of here. That's what the coxswain says? Yeah, well, usually it's like at the start and they're like, get me out of here. You know, like it's uh, like, let's get up, let's get out. I've also, you know, we've done like push off the bridge, but if we're even in like a big pack, they'll say, get me out of here. And I'm like, okay, I will. Yeah, yeah. I love okay. that. Um, I love that. Cause then you're in service of the coxswain. Favorite place to row? Uh, favorite place on a super calm day with no other boaters out. I will say Lake Mendota in Madison, Wisconsin. I've never been there. What's it like? What's the lake like? What do you see when you're out there? It is massive. What's beautiful about it is we have our, our boathouses right on it and it's right on campus. We, you know, shove off the docks and there's nothing but trees. It's Lakeshore Path that we're on. You'll see people riding their bikes, running, walking, doing whatever, just a part of the community. And we have a stretch of 2K, like a 2K course that goes right past the Union So it's real fun on like summer days when you see everyone out like drinking, having fun, there's music, just people are swimming. It's also kind of fun on like Saturday mornings before game days, the frats will all be up and out and they will yell row at us. And our coach has been known to yell drink at them. And it's just, um, (laughs) we can row the entire perimeter, which is beautiful. Just nothing but like, cliffs and trees and these beautiful homes yeah it just it's beautiful that sounds sounds fantastic best piece of rowing advice you've ever received best piece of rowing advice it's not about rowing per se but my best advice was like 
to learn how to advocate and stand up for myself, especially as a female rower and to use my voice. My coach, Kate Burko at U23s, she said like, we don't have to agree on things, but I want you to be comfortable and used to having conversations and advocating for the things you want. Um, and I have just really appreciated that. Last question, rapid fire, coffee before or after a row? I don't drink coffee, so I am not uh, bound to it. So neither before or after. This could be controversial. I do eat yogurt before every practice or piece. Ooh, Ooh. Yeah. okay. Okay. Yeah, I can't, uh, no dairy for me. <laughs> Trained myself. I don't know. Wow. You found what works for you. You found your, your special yeah. magic juice. That's awesome. So, so I just get that as a little aside. So Tara, I'm really thinking, I'm rethinking this question about coffee because people more often used to answer one or the other, or, you know, before, after, or like tap it in, I drink it all the time. And more often people are just saying, I don't drink coffee. So this question is kind of like yeah. a, well, we, uh, we could ask a, um, a, like a pre 2k snack or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Pre 2k snack question. Pre 2k snack is like a cup of courage <laughs> like, <laughs> and some peanut butter. Maybe. Like that, a cup of courage. And a strategically placed uh, post-it note on the machine that has something. I coached a, a high school senior one time. She was a, a swimmer, very tall. She reached six feet finally at 18. And she was just very lean and tall and strong and swimmer. And she'd been recruited. Uh, she really wanted to go to the Naval Academy. And the Naval was like, absolutely, come and row for us. So we had to teach her how to row before she got in. And she had her first 2K as a senior in high school. And she had already gotten accepted, early acceptance to the Naval Academy, which is almost impossible. And we put a post-it note on our machine that says, you already got in. Yeah. You know, you're already there. Just have fun with it. Just kill yourself or don't kill yourself or whatever. You know, like, just put it all out there. And you'll be all right. Yeah, I like that. A lot of my erging journey, I've had to downplay a bit of the importance of it so that I can actually enjoy it and not feel stressed. Yes, there's a lot of stress and there's a lot of a lot of history behind the 2K and a lot of pressure behind it. And um, you can really get in your own head about it. As a master, we would only do eight minute tests, which were more equitable. And if you went 2K in your eight minute test or better, fantastic. Yeah, we did three by one Ks with rest between for a bunch of years. Hmm. which okay. I'm not sure how I'm not sure how I felt about that either <laughs> my forearms were always on fire <laughs> yeah. like, either way, yeah. it all sucks. usually at our club we don't do two k's we do one k's but this year they put a feeler out because we've you know many different individuals who row from different age categories right and one of the options this summer was to go to like U.S. nationals so a handful of us did a 2k and I was like I haven't done a 2k in so long how'd it go it, it went really well. It went way better than I um, think I expected. And it was actually a lot of fun. Good. All right. So I want to ask you about learning to row. So you grew up in Washington, D.C., mm -hmm. which is right where I am. I've been here since 2001. No, 
I've been here since 1999. That's how old I am. I've been here since 1999. I learned to row in 2001 with Capital Rowing Club. Um, and I mentioned that because you learned to row with Capital Juniors. And um, I didn't know that. It was kind of like a happy coincidence when I learned that about you. When was that? And how did you find Capital Juniors? So it was in my sophomore year of high school. And I may have, I don't know, been a crazy kid, but I was always athletic. So in my head, I was like, I want to be a D1 athlete. And so I was playing volleyball at the time. Wasn't quite like, I realized it wasn't quite good enough for that. And it just so happened that Capital Juniors, I want to say, was started like maybe a year, like two years before I started. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it had, I knew it was not around for very long, but one of our like our history teacher at School Without Walls, coached there and then and, and rode. And so that's kind of how the program, I think, started. And we got most of the kids um, and my teammates from my school. And a lot of my friends rode that freshman year. I didn't. I decided to take a break from volleyball and said, well, okay, let me get two of my other friends to join with me. Our other like best friend is on the team already. Let's just do it. Um, and I really thought it was just going to be a like, cool, I do it for a year, like do it for a season and then I'll go back to volleyball. And I just, I fell in love with it. We went to um, Mid-Atlantic Erg Sprints and I had done pretty well for being like 14, 15 at the time. And one of our other coach, Steve Newman, who I also love so much. He was talking to me about like, you can row in college. And he mentioned University of Wisconsin-Madison. At the time I was a lightweight, I rode for the open weight team uh, in college, but he told me about Wisconsin and that put that in my head. And I was like, oh, I can be good at this. Like there's a future beyond what I expected. And it just so happened that I was interested in exercise and movement finally learned about like what kinesiology was and that Wisconsin had a good program. And so that was part of the catalyst was like, oh, I could see a future in this. And I just, I was rowing with my friends and it was fun. It was fun to hurt. It was fun to like learn, go from sweeping to sculling, which sculling is like by far one of my favorite. Um, I love a single, I love a double. Um, I do also, I love a quad, but I am just so appreciative of like my foundation in rowing, being at Capital Juniors, where it was like super diverse team, all these different coaches, all these different experiences. In our my senior year, we went to Stotesbury for the first time. Our little quad that I call it a little quad that could. We went to youth nationals for the first time. Like it just was really fun and really beautiful to like be a kid in DC and to row. So I have so many questions because, I mean, I could talk to you about Steve Newman, who is actually now one of my coaches. He's coaching for the Evening Suite program, and um, he often gives me feedback out on the water. And um, But, you know, I know what it's like to live in the city and to go to a boathouse for the first time and to go to a boathouse in southeast D.C., which is different today. I will tell you, when I learned to row and started going to the Anacostia Community Boathouse, that was not an area of town people went to. And they couldn't believe that I would get on my bike and ride there at 
five o'clock in the morning. Today, it's a little bit different. I don't think anybody really gives it a second thought, but what was that like for you? Do you remember like the first couple of practices where you kind of got to the other side of town and went to the boathouse? Yeah, so I, I lived in Northwest DC, I lived in Tacoma Park. DC is an incredibly diverse city. It's also, as you know, incredibly like segregated in a lot of different ways. I mean, we did everything in like little packs. We were like, we got to, we have to make sure we walk together. There was all these things. And, and we really made sure that like everyone had um, like a carpool. How's everyone getting home? Just there was, I think at the start of it, like because we're not from this part of town, there's all of these ideas that we see on the media and the news of what happens and say, yeah, Southeast DC, like, for a while, the way that I would describe my experience to other people in the rowing world was like, oh, I went and I rode at this real janky inner city kind of place because you compare it to Thompson Boat, like Boathouse and, you know, Potomac and yes, we're on uh, a side that's quote unquote, maybe not the best area of BC, whatever. Um, and so while I felt that we were not privileged in some ways I think it was also perfect to like be to not experience rowing in a privileged in a incredibly white setting mm. because I think that like I I've had some you know cognitive dissonance or whatever going on as I've gotten older and interacting with different people and rowing but I it was just such a down-to-earth experience mm. Mm. Where it's like, this is just any other sport that anyone can do. I'm really glad that that was your experience and that Capital is able to provide that for you. You know, I've been with the club long enough to see a big shift. It has definitely become more diverse. And that diversity, I think, is really coming from the scholastic level. I mean, the, the crowd there looks completely different than it used to. And I love seeing everyone's faces and all the kids that are there today. Tara and I talk a lot about the welcome mat at boathouses. You know, how are you feeling when you come in the door? And the community boathouse, like you said, it it's not a fancy schmancy boathouse. It's actually a temporary structure right now. It's one of those white bubbles. And we don't have you know, rooms that are dark wood paneled with a hundred years of history in there. But what we do have is a lot of really good people who care about bringing um, new rowers into the sport and giving them a place to be. So that's my spiel about Capital Rowing Club and Capital Juniors, but I'm, I'm glad that that was your experience in DC. Yeah. And I fully agree. And I think what's beautiful, I always call it like, oh yeah, I rode at a big tent, whatever. Yeah. I think what's nice is how many programs do come and go in the community boathouse and so you just see you see so many different people and the interactions are always super friendly yeah rachel just posted on her instagram her personal instagram a photo of everything that was happening all at once in one sort of late afternoon evening that it was like all the clubs all the kids all the masters you know everybody was there i used to work at a a parks boathouse so a Seattle parks boathouse it was the same feeling you just had all this activity and and people were so excited about being there and um and being in community it sounds like Steve Newman really propelled you into that thinking about going to college and college rowing and since you were a badger that's a legacy program like that's a Wisco is a legacy program in terms of women's rowing especially 
did you go through the recruitment process and, and ultimately how did you end up at Wisco? Yeah. So I don't, I don't want to say it's my favorite thing to say, but I was not recruited. I was slow. I was not fast. I was really not fast. And I was like a little shrimp, like I'm five, seven, which is not super short. Right. But I wasn't, I just wasn't big. And so I ended up going to Wisconsin Madison, Steve and Capital put it in my head that this is a university that I could go to. And I actually ended up going because I had a full ride merit scholarship, the Posse Scholarship Foundation, love it, great in Washington, DC. I went to school with 10 other amazing, diverse uh, individuals from the DMV area. DMV is DC, Maryland, Virginia, for those of the our listeners. I was thinking Department of Motor Vehicles. Yeah. yeah. I had a couple of cars. It was pretty cool. Right. Um, <laughs> no, but so I went entirely on an academic scholarship and decided, you know, no one in my family, there's no history of college athletics or especially division one athletics. So I was like, I'm a competitive person. You know, I've had this dream to be a D1 athlete and just excel, but I have no idea what this entails, but I told myself, if I don't try, I will be upset. So I was like, hey, I'll try it for a year. If I quit, I quit. If I don't like it, whatever, but I'm going to try it. And I I walked on, I reached out to Jim Mitchell, who's uh, the assistant coach and let him know that I was coming. And so while I was a part of the walk-on group, I also would mingle a little bit with maybe the recruited walk-ons and other people and just get some different opportunities. I mean, yeah, that's where it started is I walked up to the boathouse, sat in a room with a, you know, hundred different women and signed up and was like, Hey, I'm going to keep coming back to this because I have experience because I like it. And let's see where I can go from there. I don't regret my choice to go to Wisconsin. I don't regret my choice to row. It's given me so many beautiful opportunities. I've met so many amazing coaches and teammates from the men's team, the lightweight team, my team, but it was a, it was a journey because it, it, there was a lot that I had to mentally kind of deal with just the schedule of being a collegiate athlete and how you've got to make sacrifices, especially, you know, time-wise with academics and social life. Yeah. Um, Let's talk about that. What was that transition like for you? It was a lot. Um, And I'm glad that I came with my scholarship group because I felt like I had a little bit of a community and a home, but it became pretty hard to balance trying to make sure I'm spending enough time with the team, enough time with my other friends who lived across campus from me. Um, But I made sure to do what I needed to academically because my mom was like, I support you as an athlete, but you are here as a student. So I took a lot of measures to make sure I got the tutoring, I showed up to the different office hours. And especially once becoming an athlete, I made sure to try and utilize those services through the athletic department. One thing about my journey as a student athlete was trying to understand where I fit as a black female athlete and a black rower. Because my team on Capital, there were a lot of different racial groups that you know I rode with. Um, mm-hmm. And I Wisconsin. It was, you know, there's maybe a couple of us that started out, but by the time I was a sophomore, I was the only black rower in the entire boathouse, especially by the time I was a senior. There were only four of us, and two of them were on the men's team that I didn't even associate very much with. 
And something at the end of COVID, because my final uh, year of eligibility ended that spring of COVID, what I came to realize is I didn't even think of myself as a black rower. I was like, I'm an athlete. That's it. Blanket statement. I can't even try to look at my identity and look at who I am as a person in that realm. But I also at the same time felt immense pressure to be amazing and be great and excel to represent for my community. And I had a few other teammates of color. And I realized at that moment that I didn't even look at them as women of color. And it just was, it was a very interesting realization to come to. And something I had grappled with as well was that I ended up spending less time with my scholarship group, which was a lot of black and brown individuals. And I got a lot of flack for that from them. And, you know, it was hard where I was like, am I choosing to be in a wider space over like individuals that I share a lot of commonalities with? And I've come to terms with it where this was my only time to be an elite athlete and to excel. And I did what I needed to. I did what I needed to, to make sure I created strong relationships, which my best friends are all of my teammates. I made the sacrifices to add in more training, to get into racing boats and be in the second varsity eight and go to NCAAs and get invited to camps and things like that. But it definitely post college was something that I was like, wow, it's very interesting that I didn't have the bandwidth to even acknowledge that part of myself. And that goes into a little bit why I'm going into the sports psychology field. And a lot of what I want to do is identity work with athletes. Home buyers are flocking to Maine for mountain, lake, and ocean access, friendly neighbors, and above all, relaxation like you'll find nowhere else. If a vacation land lifestyle is one you'd like to explore, reach out to the folks at the Breakwater Realty Group, brokered by EXP Realty. With agents up and down the coast and inland to the mountains, they'll provide the friendly expertise needed to get you into your next home in Maine or New Hampshire. Learn more or contact the team by visiting breakwaterrealtygroup.com. Sunny State Podcast is made possible with listener support. Become a patron today for early access to episodes, discounts on SSN swag, and invitations to patron-only events. Find out more at steadystatenetwork.com slash Patreon. In two, we're back with Rebecca Armstrong. That's one, two. I'm curious about the the sense of the welcome mat at Wisco because looking at their recent racial ethnicity demographics breakdown, the numbers I'm seeing are nearly 30,000 white students to 995 Black African-American students. So the entire university, uh, it feels like, wasn't even remotely close to what you experienced at Capitol or in Washington, D.C. And it sounds like you prioritized the athlete part of yourself and are now maybe looking back and going, how could I have developed the bandwidth to do both? I mean, obviously that comes with maturity and age and experience and also comes with mentorship. And I'm, so I'm wondering, did you find some mentorship at Wisco that helped make that possible and, and propel you forward? Yes. And so I love that you 
bring up the demographics because I want to say it's like less than two percent of like students are black or african-american and then when looking at the athletic department as well black female athletes when I was there I think it was like 10 of us I believe that our diversity inclusion director Sheridan Blanford showed up in 2017 I want to say and so what happened was uh, there wasn't a senior on my team who was half black, half white. And she was a part of a student athlete, student athlete org called SESA, which is student athletes equally supporting others, um, which is a organization run entirely by student athletes and small board of at least like five or six people. And we put, they would put on conversations and events once a month to talk about topics other than athletics or how do these different identities, these issues affect us as athletes. And that senior kind of was like, you should apply and be on this board. And I ended up being on the board for my junior and senior year. And Sheridan Blanford was there guiding us and leading us. And I had never felt so empowered to use my voice and feel like I mattered and that my voice mattered and wanting to have these conversations that like I personally may have been shutting down or pushing down on myself. I'm like, I can't because I'm an athlete. And one of the things that I am proudest of is uh, we would, every year we do a Black History Month kind of event. And in my junior and senior year, we decided to make it a little bit different because usually it was like, okay, everyone shows up and you just eat soul food and then students leave. But we evolved it to let's have spoken word. Let's have a panel with coaches and athletes. Our senior year, we went from being in the like athlete dining hall to the Cole Center, which is the basketball and hockey arena on Wisconsin campus. And we did activities. We mixed student athletes up with different people. And we had, we invited organizations from campus to come and do African dance. Again, spoken word, music, rap, all kinds of things just to make the event a little bit more enriching than what it just was at a surface level. And I felt like I was able to truly find a little bit more of my voice and felt like I had a place that I could call home and a person that I could call home that encouraged me and supported me in everything I did. Remind me, what year did you end up graduating? Uh, 2020. 2020. So the summer before that, you got invited to the U23 national team selection camp, right? You mentioned for sculling. Yes. Where was it that year? Where was the camp? It was in Charlottesville, Virginia. At oh, campus. right. Which was also controversial. Yes. Also, a course that I love. I love that body of water. Yeah. That we were on. But it was a very interesting experience with there only being three of us who were Black that were invited and it was super, everyone was divided up. And there was some controversy around one of the hosting uh, sites, uh, host mm-hmm. families that I, I had a great host, super loved them, super supportive, but there is one where there's two individuals of color who were staying there that felt a lot of kind of discrimination and harassment from their wow. family. And it takes into account, okay, I know we're, We've got to stay with uh, host families. It's just the way that things go with finances and money, but something that needs to be taken into account. 
by U.S. Rowing and the Development Squad. Who are we placing our athletes with? And will they, are they going to be able to come home and be able to de-stress after being under immense pressure all day? Right. And being in a place where they're going to feel comfortable, they're going to feel supported so that the next morning you can get up and go and, and do your best and give your best on the water. Yes. Yeah. So how did the camp go for you? I will say that summer was probably the happiest I've ever been for a lot of reasons. I didn't end up making a boat, but I learned so much and I felt so seen and so supported by my teammates there, you know, also being selected and by the coaches. I mean, I'm still like in awe that I was coached by Kate Burko and Susan Francia, two amazing Olympians and just such inspirational women. And they, you know, they kept it real with us. You know, they weren't going to sugarcoat anything. But again, Kate Burko, she said, advocate for yourself. And I think throughout my time in camp, I developed so much. And she and Brett Gorman even said that, you know, I was one of the ones whose growth in terms of my skill improved tremendously. But it, it felt like such a safe space to be vulnerable, to be okay failing, so to speak, but being able to excel in other goals I had set for myself, which was to improve and to make friends and make relationships with other elite rowers at that age and at that time. And I'm still friends with many of those women. And it's a lot of fun, actually, because several of them are on the like elite scene right now. And then yeah. I got to go with one of my teammates and I support her and I love her so much. And Lauren O'Connor, she's going to go to World Cup this summer. So like, it's just, I feel very fortunate, just the individuals that I got to meet. Um, and it's just a new perspective on how to train and what development looks like. Yeah. I think it's always awesome to get out of the place where you normally row, no matter how great you think it is and how wonderful your coaches are and your teammates are just to be able to pluck yourself out and put yourself somewhere new with a new batch of rowers and new coaches, that fresh perspective, not only their perspective, but your own perspective can really be an eye opener. I learned so literally just so much about training and now I'm a big feet out rower, especially on the erg. I've like fully committed to like shoes off, socks on, like no strap, <laughs> low, <laughs> low rate. Yeah. That's my preferred way to erg shoes off. And I do row primarily feet out. So after graduation in 2020, did you continue on rowing? Have you taken a break from rowing? Yes. Yeah, so I and my teammate, Lauren O'Connor, we graduated December of 2020. So we were fortunate enough to get to be like volunteer assistant coaches at Wisconsin-Madison. We worked a lot with, I'd say, like the open weight novice team. And then in the spring after we had graduated and we're just in Madison, we primarily worked with our lightweight team. And it was a great opportunity just to get a look into what coaching is like. And uh, at the time, the lightweight coach was Dusty Madison, um, and there was Chris Leyland as well, who was uh, volunteering. And it was just so beautiful to get to know these athletes in a different way where I'm like, I'm coming from a place of mentorship, but our, you know, our coaches, same with even, you know, BB Bryan's and our head coaches, allowing us to 
take boats and say, okay, run a practice. You are in charge now and getting to feel again, validated in what we knew and what our experiences were. And we were invited to all of the, you know, coaching meetings, staff meetings. But for me, I thought that that was the end of rowing for me. I was like, okay, my coach here and there, I'm super excited to get to have this opportunity to learn and to grow as a coach. But I was like, I'm, I'm done. I'm not rowing. I made it might've urged occasionally, but I thought it was over. You know, I'm not sure I've actually really ever asked anyone this before coming out of a collegiate program. Do your coaches talk to you about what other opportunities there are? Like if you don't kind of make the national team, right? Like a lot of people think that's the pipeline, right? It's a scholastic collegiate, try to make the national team. And then what if you don't? And like all of us masters know that there's this huge, vibrant masters community, but do collegiate coaches talk about that at all? Unfortunately, no. And I mean, you know, part of me gets it. You're more focused on who you have right now. And sometimes they're even not super interested in doing that funnel to the elite team because again, they're so like, this is my team. I need to develop you. We're looking for our own success within. Um, But they for sure gave more um, resources and information out about U23s and then going from U23s to national where you can train. And that's something that feels so unfortunate, especially now that I've discovered <laughs> discovered master's rowing, not like I didn't row next to master's all the time in high school. Um, and it's something that I'm like telling all of my friends and the individuals I know that are still at Wisconsin rowing is that I definitely recommend people take a break and try and rediscover or discover a new relationship with rowing that is more personal and about you and about your own like health and wellness and success and not about others. And I think a lot of us, a lot of people are like, okay, once I'm out of college, I'm done. You know, I've been so broken. I'm so mentally and emotionally tired from all that I've had to deal with with both. And so a lot of my past teammates, they do not row anymore. And there are some that are slowly getting back into it, but yeah, it's, it's very unfortunate that that's not um, push the, okay, you can row beyond and it can be different or, and it, it can be different and the same all the, like all at once, like me rowing, this is, I'm finishing my first year and within the master's category. And I've had so many races where it's felt like I've been back in college, where it's mm-hmm. that like exhilaration and that like drive and that fight and that it just feels smooth and it feel it just feels right and it's it's beautiful that you can I can that I can find that and be in a totally different environment and how's your personal acclimation to masters rowing like have you found that welcome mat to be inclusive or you know providing you with some safe space to be authentic or how would you describe the Rebecca Armstrong masters rower experience Mm -hmm. So I was originally nervous about joining a master's program only because while I have like the experience with the master's team at Capital, I also had rode for like a little bit out of TBC. So I've seen the Potomacs, I've seen all of it, and it can be incredibly rich and privileged, sometimes not as welcoming. You know, people kind of blinders on, I'm coming in, I'm going to grab my single, I'm going to go out. 
whatever, and incredibly white, which is something that I had to think about, like, how am I going to fit into this community that is the same, but it's a little bit different. Also, it's so expensive. I, that's all I got to say. It's expensive. And oh yeah, unfortunately, because I coach, I can afford to do this, but coming to Lincoln Park, I have felt so welcomed and I have felt so welcomed at regattas with other master's programs. Um, it's actually been really fun to like see capital and be like, you know, I used to row for the juniors and there's been some familiar faces, which has been a lot of fun, but I feel like I can show up authentically as myself. Um, I don't shy away from conversations about race and sexuality and just anything going on in the world. And I feel so supported by the teammates that are closer to my age and those that are a little bit further away. And honestly, I love the group of, um, we have a group of breast cancer survivor women that row with us. And my favorite people, like they just go and like, they go to a dive bar after practice sometimes. And I'm like, can I come with you? Like, I just want to be here. I have had a lot of support, you know, as an athlete, um, as a college athlete with my teammates, but I felt just so much love from my teammates here. And I'm so happy that we're finally back on the water and all training together. That truly feels like home. Did some of the comfort and authenticity you've been able to, to find, did some of that come about? Um, I'm assuming some of that came about when you got the chance to row ahead of the Charles last year with the rowing in color eight. Yes. I'm, I'm assuming that really was amazingly special for you and your team. It was such an amazing opportunity. And I've been in contact with the Rowing in Color, like podcast women, um, Denise and Patricia, since 2020 and COVID. And I, I, have, two, I have two episodes on their podcast. But I, I will say there's, there's, there's a couple people of color who are on the uh, Lincoln Park team that started that comfortability for me. And then I think what solidified it was when I was um, invited to row with the all black women's aid at head of the Charles, seeing the like influx of text messages from my teammates uh, being like, we're so proud, we're so excited for this opportunity. And it was, I think that my favorite thing about getting to row, cause I had never rowed at the Charles. I actually had, have never, this was maybe my second time going to the Charles. Uh, I went the year before just to visit and watch my friends row. And it was one of those moments where I was out on the water and it was what I was hoping that people would take away is, you know, my white identifying teammates, like, oh, like Rebecca gets to experience what we experience every day, which is being able to see someone that looks like you in front and behind you and that you get to push for one another. And it was one of my favorite races. It went by so fast. Like it was the one of the quickest races and there were people cheering for us at every single bridge. And there was a moment where I felt, I felt important. I felt important and valued in being able to be in this boat with so many amazing women, women that I look up to um, who were Olympians and amazing elite athletes. And then it was kind of weird that we had two college age rowers who are freshmen and sophomores and they were like well we look up to you and I'm like but why like I you know so it just it was a really beautiful moment just to 
be able to experience being in a boat with individuals that have had maybe similar experiences to me and we share a commonality and we're pushing for each other and we're pushing for the state of rowing in general to just continue to be diversified. Was Corinne Wiggins your coxswain? Yes. She's great, right? Amazing. I was telling her after that race, I was like, you need to like put in for U23s. I was like, you were an amazing coxswain. Like I just, wow. Yeah, we've had her on the show twice. We had her on the show when she was 16 and she just started her Instagram account, The Black Coxswain. And then we thought we'd check in with her. So she just had an episode recently about her freshman year in college and how the transition's going. So when you came out of college and you're looking at your work career, your career ahead of you, like where were you thinking you would go and how did you end up at Chicago Training Center? Yeah, so I... Definitely in my last semester of college was leaning more towards, uh, I want to pursue sports psychology. I'm a kinesiology undergrad. And one of the schools that I looked at was Adler University in Chicago. Um, And great university that they had the, the opportunity to have a dual program to become a licensed counselor and a certified mental performance consultant, which is a sports psychologist. And they're mission is all about social justice and advocacy work um, and cultural competence. And so originally I was actually planning to go to grad school in Australia and some things kind of fell through, but I had been, I've been in contact with Arshe Cooper for a while and I had just been communicating with him after, you know, I was like, okay, I'm not, I'm staying in the States. What do you have for me? And he mentioned that Chicago Training Center was looking for a program director and it kind of felt like everything was falling into place where I was like, well, I want to go to school in Chicago. I want to get back into rowing and trying to help diversify the sport and recruiting and getting more youth to just know what rowing is and have those opportunities that I was afforded. And so it, it felt like everything just fell together. And although I wish I could have stayed with Chicago Training Center for longer, I ended up uh, having to resign because of school. It was such an eye-opener in general for me to get to understand and know Chicago as a city, to understand school systems, to understand communities, and how do you engage with communities where rowing is not a traditional sport, and what are the barriers that just naturally come up because of rowing with, you know, access to bodies of water, access to facilities, to boats, transportation, all kinds of things, and so I'm so happy that I had that experience because a lot of what I want to do professionally, I really want to be a sports psychologist that works with BIPOC athletes in predominantly white sports. So I really want to stay in the rowing world. And as of recently through my coursework and some research that I'm doing, I'm really interested in identity work. And it's two things that if people want to look up, they can the cycles of socialization and the cycles of liberation. So how, how are we socialized with certain norms in society, especially based on our identities and how that causes a lot of, you know, guilt and anger and frustration and sadness, you know, self-hatred. And how can we, as especially counselors, help individuals onto a path of liberation, of finding community, coalescing, advocating for themselves and just becoming more attuned to who they are and loving all of their identities. And that's what I want to work on with athletes because I see how happy I am showing up 
fully as myself as a black queer woman who rose. And I just think, wow, it me now put into the shoes of me as a college athlete, what could that experience look like? But also recognizing that, you know, the system and institutions that we live within, sometimes you cannot make certain decisions out of just because you're trying to survive. Um, so just understanding the nuance of that, but also being able to help facilitate individuals become more attuned and accepting of their identity. And then how do you work within the system and the institution to make it a more welcoming and inclusive space? And I mean, it's no, it's no secret that rowing has been very white and very affluent for a very long time. And, you know, a few years ago with the Black Lives Matter movement, discussions about an inclusion and diversity just blew up in the rowing world. And U.S. rowing stepped up to lead some of those conversations. We saw a lot of work being done at the scholastic and collegiate levels. Tara and I, kind of as master's rowers and coaches, see that happening there. But I'm wondering if you've seen any sort of changes. How are you feeling about things today? And how do you see yourself being involved in building community for BIPOC athletes? I think that's a great question. I definitely don't want to comment on, say that no work was being done pre-BLM in that summer. But I think a lot for me, what has been really cool to see just in general is just now the visibility of the work. Um, mm -hmm. It feels really sad for me to say that I didn't know about Anita de France, like before that summer, like there's so many individuals that I didn't know and I didn't, couldn't see as maybe role models because I had, there wasn't that visibility. And so I think that adds on to why maybe we don't always see just different individuals of color continuing, I think, especially also onto the elite level. I definitely have seen a lot more in the scholastic, which is really beautiful and you know, even within Chicago, like, okay, cool. Yeah, CTC, that's the mission is to get black and brown individuals. And especially from low income where it's, you know, the opportunity just isn't, and the access is just different. And it's been really cool to see, you know, Corinne and different people giving the spotlight to other student athletes that are of color. And it's, it's just been really cool through social media, all the connections that have been made. And I think the visibility is what has been really beautiful. I think there's so much more that can be done, especially I think in looking at how do you engage with communities that are different than what stereotypically the rowing community looks like. And I think there is a lot culturally that can be changed within rowing in general with like the attitudes of individuals and what it means to be a rower. And that's why I think my, you know, foundational experience in rowing was so beautiful that it was like, it's just a community thing that we do. And there's many different kinds of people we had. I love that there's adaptive rowing at Capitol like that I was able to get involved with. I think there just continues to need to be a shift in mentality about what a rower looks like and what rowing really means. And to be honest, rowing, while it is seen as more of a upper class or more of an affluent privileged sport is kind of a sport of the working people. I mean, so many of us have read Boys in the Boat, but like, it truly is. It's a, it's a, what I loved about, and what I still love about rowing is you can create the path and the journey that you want. There, sure, there can be some barriers and there, there are roadblocks, but 
a lot of it comes down to your own mentality and your own determination and the hard work that you're going to put in. Are you willing to put the hard work in on the erg that we all seem to hate, you know? And like, are you going to be able to put the work in to advocate for yourself and to make those things possible? Thank you so much. I mean, it's just great to meet you. And we, you know, we love hearing people who still find the sport so transformative, like that people don't seem to be ever sort of talked out of the sport. You know, that's why Rachel and I started this podcast was to meet people like you who just really exemplify why the sport is so great. So thank you so much for sharing your story and sharing who you are. And I've loved meeting you. This has been great. We weren't quite sure what this conversation was going to be when Jess Jackson said, hey, we really think you should talk to Rebecca, you know, and I really think that you're going to be a fantastic mentor and role model. I'm sure you already are, but you've got a long career ahead of you and kids and rowers and other coaches are going to be lucky to work with you. Yeah, I appreciate that. I still, you know, I'm like, oh, about to turn 25. I feel very much like an imposter within rowing and, you know, academic and professional world. But (laughs) we all do. I think we all do. I'm not sure that ever ends. You just kind of keep doing what you, what you do and doing what you know. Don't be afraid to ask for help with the things that you don't know about. But other than that, you know, just fake it till you make it. And all of a sudden you're making it in a different way than you were five years ago. And yeah, Yesterday, I was trying to choose colors for a new business that I'm starting. And the artist who's helping me just said, you know, it's amazing what really resonates for us when we make decisions and how we make decisions and how we go forward. And that sometimes, you know, we need some help trusting our gut. And sometimes we need some support and community around that. So we can be that for you. And we can definitely give you a high five when you need it. So don't hesitate to ask. (laughs) I appreciate it. No, I really do. So high fives at Masters Nationals this summer. Yes. yes. We'll give you one in person at Masters Nationals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Indianapolis. Awesome. Well, thank you so, so much. It's been great meeting you. And yeah, we'll see you in a couple of months in Indianapolis. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, high five. It was really nice meeting you. You too. You too. <laughs> To see photos of Rebecca Armstrong and get links to the people, clubs, and events mentioned in this episode, check out the show notes on our website. Hey, Rachel, I think some listeners might not know that Steady State is more than a podcast. Oh, so much more. Yeah, we get together on Instagram Live for Coffee Chat every Friday morning at 8 a.m. West and 11 East. We bring that post-practice coffee with teammates vibe online to talk with the community about all things rowing. Grab your favorite mug and add your voice to the conversation. And make plans to visit us at the 2023 U.S. Rowing Masters Nationals, July 20 to 23 in Indianapolis. Get more info when you subscribe to our weekly e-newsletter. This episode was written, produced, hosted, and edited by me, Tara Morgan. And me, Rachel Friedman. Tara provides additional audio engineering and is our sponsor coordinator. And Rachel manages our website and social media. Our theme music is by Jonas Hipper. Between us, we have nearly 40 years of rowing, coaching, and coxing experiences, and we run successful rowing-related enterprises. 
Tara is the founder of Seize the Oar Foundation, which champions inclusion in the sport of rowing through team training, outreach, and thought leadership. And Rachel is the founder of Row Source, designing unique rowing gear for individuals, clubs, and events. Find us on Instagram and Facebook at Steady State Network, Seize the Oar, and Row Source. Coming up on the next episode, there are only a handful of rowing clubs around the world that cater specifically to the lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, questioning, and ally community. And in honor of Pride Month, we meet some of the people rowing in these spaces. We'll talk about rowing in the gay rights movement in the 90s and where this side of the diversity issue is or isn't still relevant today. Catch new episodes of Steady State Podcast every other weekend, wherever you get podcasts. That's all for today. In two, way enough. That's one, two.